just uh, come on in when you get a chance, when you're finished. But for the rest of us, it is time to start. I'm going to do a message this morning. Um, everybody say it with me. Take me, take me. Higher. higher. That's right. Jesus wants to take us higher. That's right. So we are created by God. The difference between when God created the world, he created all of these different beings, including angels. Angels were created preceding the creation. Time and space, if you don't understand this either at all, time and space itself is actually a creation. So time and space was created by God because God lives in eternity. And so before he created time and space, which is the realm in which we find ourselves, he created angels. Then he creates time and space. The evening and the morning were the first day. That is the initiation of time and space. And so he creates time and space. He creates all kinds of animals, all kinds of things, people, places, and things. He creates, ultimately, he creates man and woman. Man and woman, man was the, was the finality of his creation, and woman was the exclamation point. So the Lord created man last, last, and then he created woman from man, and signed his name with Adam, and put an exclamation point with it with Eve. That's kind of how it looks like that. But the difference is, is understanding creation, if God creates something, he has an intention behind it. Okay, so he, God doesn't do anything in an empty way. He just doesn't just do something. There's always an intention behind it, or there's always something built into what God creates. Man and woman was created different than all other beings, not just to have life, but to know, but to know the Lord in a deep and intimate way. Only humans have the ability to know God in an intimate way. Differences would be with angelic beings, they do not know God, nor are they given access to him in such an intimate way. The angels refer to God as Elohim. That's the only name they know, which is supreme God, ruler, judge of all, almighty. That's all they know. Yeah, we know him as Jehovah. We know him as Yahweh. We know him in a covenant form and in a relational form. That's how we are called to know him. And his name, ultimately, Jehovah, is Jesus saves. So Jesus is that. And then also Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is Yahweh saves. So that's the same understanding there, is that God has created man and he has given to man, everybody say it with me, intimate access. So we have the ability to have something that no one else has. What happened? Oh, no signal. There you go. Oh, I may have to pause this and go back there and fix that. Can you fix it? Let me fix it. Hold on.
I was getting ready to freestyle. <laughs> Noah's like, you may have to freestyle it. I'm like, that's all right, we'll freestyle. So God's created you to go higher. He's created you different than the angels. The angels cannot ascend. The angels, when God created the angels, he created them complete and in their own present form. They are what they are. They're siloed into specific jobs and specific duties. Michael would be a warrior angel. That's what he does. That's all he does. 24-7, that's all he does. We have another reference to another angel in the Bible. We only get two. And I think the only reason, the reason Jesus only gives us two is because we would probably end up worshiping angels if we knew anything more about them other than what we already know. We, well, we get three. We get Lucifer. Right, so we do get that one. But Ben, uh, uh, excuse me, um, Gabriel is a messenger angel. That is his role. That is his created assignment. That is all he does. That is what he does. His role is to do that. In other words, they're cast in their role. Lucifer's job was lucent. That means light. So Lucifer was a light bearer before the Father. He was the worship leader of heaven, if you didn't know that. When the angels fell, what happens is, is I believe, that their nature was transformed that, they, that Lucifer, who was lucent, he was the light, now he becomes the darkness. You understand that? Because they left their first estate. So they were flipped upside down from what they were because they had fallen. But my point is, is that angels cannot ascend. Man was created a little lower than the angels, the Bible says, but we have the ability to ascend. We have the ability to rise, to rise in experience, to rise in knowledge, to rise in maturity, to rise in growth. We have an ability to grow. Whether or not we access or whether or not we do that is really up to us. But God has given you an ability to grow. He has not given you the desire or he's not given you, he's not limited your capacity to where you have to stay the same. You can say it with me, I can grow. I can change. That's right. That's the difference. Man can be redeemed. Angels can't. There's something about our nature that enables us to be born again and to come out of. The angels, once they've fallen, they cannot be redeemed. They're lost eternally. Why is that? Well, that's a whole other theological question that I don't have time to get into. But the point being is that we are created to grow and expand into maturity. Second Peter says this, grow, say it with me, grow. In grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. It's telling us to grow in grace. Grace is the empowerment of God. So it's saying grow in the empowerment or the enablement that comes from God. Grow in that. We think that grace is like, well, I just need to grow. I just need to be kind. I just need to be more gracious. Gracious is the enabling grace is the enabling power of God. That's what it's telling us to do. You can't be kind. Any kindness outside of the Spirit of God is fake at best. Kindness from the Spirit is insanely powerful. That's the kindness. So it's telling us to grow in grace, grow in the enabling power that comes from God. So grow into that. And then it's telling us to grow in the knowledge. And I'm going to come back to knowledge. Here's another one. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul is writing to a church. And he's like, man, I'm so jazzed that you guys are coming to Christ. And you guys are following the Lord. We are praying for you. And what is, it, what is Paul praying? Asking that you would be filled with, say this word, knowledge, knowledge. of his will. And in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So therefore, walk in a manner that is worthy, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This word knowledge is poorly understood from our context. We treat knowledge as something that we know right here. It's the Greek word when knowledge is in this form, it is called gnosis. 
So say it with me, gnosis. Okay, it's where the word knowledge comes from. It's rooted in that word gnosis. When the Bible uses the word knowledge, the most common use of it in the New Testament, say this with me, is epig, come on, gnosis. Epic is where we get the word epic from. Gnosis is where we get the word knowledge from. So when God is saying be, be transformed into the knowledge of God, he's talking about being, growing into the epic knowledge of God. The epic knowledge of God, is, say it with me, is experiential. Say that with me. So it's not a matter of just knowing things. God wants you to experience the reality of the truths that he is speaking. It's experiential. You understand that? Jesus Christ died for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible tells us that when we're born again, the spirit of God enters us. Well, that's wonderful to know. But when you experience that, you experience the reality of that truth. That's the kind of knowledge God is talking about. He's not talking about abstracts that we just observe or poems that we just look at. He's talking about knowing these truths in experience. It's the same word it's used in Ephesians, that you would know the love of God. I've been around churches, I've been around leadership, I've been around it all, that we would know the love of God. Ho, 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 ho. He's saying experience the love of God. Let, his lo let him love you. Let him experience and encounter him in such a way that it changes you. That's what he's asking of us. That's, he said, get into the epic knowledge of God. Epic is like, wow. That's where we get the movie epic. You go and experience this epic this epic thing that happens. That's, that's what he's talking about. So it's important to know when God is telling us to grow in knowledge, he's not just telling us to grow in intellect. Intellect is important, but it is not the goal. The goal is epic knowledge supported by intellect. Foundational knowledge or the gnosis knowledge is to support the experiential knowledge. It's to give a foundation to the experience. You understand that? Two of you? <laughs> so let's just say it. So we're going to root it. Say knowledge, knowledge. is the foundation, the foundation of the experience. That's one way to say it. So we're to grow. We're to grow in what? Information. That's a compound word, information. So we grow in formation internally. We're to grow in experience, which is practice. We're to grow in encounter. We encounter God. That's an epic. We're to grow in revelation, which means God gives you an insight and an understanding into things that you did not know. That's called revelation. These are the ways that we're supposed to grow. Next slide. How do we grow and what keeps us from growing? Okay, so I'm going to read you guys a parable. If you want to follow along, if you have your Bible, if you have your iPhone or whatever it is you, you, you read, if you want to, we're going to target Matthew 13 here. So if you want to follow along that way, otherwise I'll just read it off screen. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. And large crowds come to him. And he got in a boat and he sat in it. So Jesus is rock star at this point, right? Everywhere he goes, crowds follow him. He gets a boat. He goes out into the water because the crowds would literally push him because they were so wanting to get to him. So he's in a water and he begins to speak to them. And he tells them things in, many, in parables, 
And what he is doing, parabolos, it's we're parallel and it's to speak in comparison. So he's comparing things. He's laying things side by side. That's how he's talking. This is like that. This is like that. And he's giving them a limit. He's giving us, because we're primitive, he's giving us heavenly knowledge in a primitive form because we, that's basically the way that we can understand. He gives us something in a simple form. He spoke to them in parables and he said, a farmer went out to sow the seed and as he was scattering seeds, some fell on the path. And the birds came down and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. And so that seed sprang up. Say it with me. Sprang up. Because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came and the plants were scorched and they withered because, say this with me, they had no root. And the seed fell among thorns and grew up. Then other seeds fell among thorns. So we have three seeds. Seed that goes out, falls on the wayside. Birds come down and eat it. Seed that falls, we have four actually. Seed falls down on rocks. It grows, but it cannot root or it does not root. And therefore it withers. Then the third one is this one roots, grows, but cannot bear fruit because it's choked off. Still there was another soil that produced a crop. 160 and 30 times what, what was sown. And he says this, whosoever has ears, let them hear. Anytime Jesus says whosoever has ears, he's not talking about audible ears, right? So when the Bible goes, whosoever has ears, let them hear, he's not, every, we all got ears, don't we? He's not saying all y'all with ears, I want you to hear this. He's saying if you have spiritual ears to understand what it is that I'm saying, I want you to tune in. I want you to tune into the spiritual side of what it is that I'm saying. Next slide. The disciples came to him and they asked him, see, here's where we get understanding, is because somebody asked, actually asked Jesus a question. When we ask Jesus a question, we start getting understanding. They say, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he says, because the knowledge, ready for this, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. Given to who? Say this with me. The knowledge, the knowledge of the secrets of the, secrets. Of the kingdom, kingdom have been given to me. Those who are in Christ, those who follow Jesus, you've been given an ability to understand, an ability to, re, to, to see what he's talking about. But those who do not have Jesus, the Bible says, they seeing, yet they do not perceive. They hear, yet they do not understand. Because the knowledge comes through the spirit that is given to us through revelation. And the knowledge comes through the understanding. We have the ability. So what happens is God will say something very complex and a lot of times we just push it aside. What he wants us to do is push into that for greater understanding because he tells you, I've given to you the ability to understand this. You have to push into it. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, they will, what they have will be taken for. This is why I speak to them in parables so that because they see, though in seeing they do not see. Because what was happening here is that they were prideful and they were arrogant. And they would not enter into the spiritual place that he was calling them to enter into. Therefore, they stood in a very natural mindset, and all they could understand him to say was natural things. They couldn't enter in. They, they, they could if they wanted to, but because their hearts were hard, and they were unwilling, and they were observing him in a way that was only relevant to themselves, they weren't trying to actually press into what it was that he was understanding. Therefore, their understanding was limited. This is why things go over our heads, because we don't enter into this stuff with spiritual understanding. We just read these things topically. We just read it. We don't understand what does that mean? What is it that you're saying there? We have to understand it from a spiritual perspective. And Jesus is going to give it to us from the spiritual perspective. Next slide. He tells them. They said, what does it mean? And he's going to go, I'm going to explain it to you. Here it comes. Typically what the church has done, I'm going to show this to you. 
We teach this parable in a sense of evangelism. We go out, we witness to people, we scatter the seed. Some people aren't going to hear it. Some people are going to hear it. They're going to listen for a while, but they're not going to commit to Christ and it's going to fall away. Other people are going to hear it. They're going to go to this and they're not going to bear fruit. Other people are going to hear it. They're going to bear fruit. While that is true, this does relate to evangelism. This does relate to calling people unto Christ. We do sow the message of salvation. That's not what he says they're sowing. Listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the what? The message of the kingdom. The seed is the message of the kingdom. And if you know anything about what we teach here, it's not the, it, when Jesus says the message of the kingdom, it is far surpassing that of just salvation. So the message of the kingdom is what is being sown, not just into the unbeliever, but to the believer even right now. This message of the kingdom is being sown into your hearts this morning. And some of it's going to fall on the wayside and you're going to let the devil take it. Some of you are going to go, woohoo, and then you're going to go out and do something, and then you're, going to, then you're not going to let it root, or you're going, to faint, you're going to faint under the persecution that always comes, and you're going to faint under it, and you're going to bear it. Some of you are just going to go, oh, that's really good, but you're going to be indifferent to it. This is where the, the majority of the church is in indifference. The majority of the church isn't letting the devil, some of them are letting the devil see it. I'm going to break it down for you. But this message of the kingdom is what is being sown. So we have to understand that the message of the kingdom, the king's dominion, is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Not just salvation, but the inbreaking of the power and the authority of the rulership of the king into every sphere of life. This is what he's saying. This doesn't just apply to the unbeliever. This message applies to the believer. Come on. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not, say it with me, does not understand it. The evil one comes and takes what is sown in their heart. The seed that is sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, receives it, woo, you know, I'm down. And then once they have no root, they only last a short time. Because trouble and persecution always accompanies the kingdom. The kingdom suffers violence. The message of the kingdom, the inbreaking of the kingdom, suffers the opposition. And so they get the message of the kingdom. They get a revelation. They showed the Lord saying, listen, I'm going to bring you into rulership into this area of your life. I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to give you dominion in these ways. Yeah. And then you start stepping in and you don't realize the storm just hits you. And then you turn away and you go, oh, it must not be God. Who told you that? The Bible clearly tells you the message of the kingdom is going to be opposed. The opposition just means you're closer to the target. That's what it means. The enemy is on the other side of that. Huh? The seed falling on rocky ground. So the seed, so the, for a short time, because they fall away quickly. In other words, you fall off of the revelation that God just gave you. You fall away from it. This is common to the church. This isn't just common to unbelievers. Oh, they follow Jesus and they fall away. We've got to expand our thinking a little bit. Because this is more common to us than it is to the person that comes to Christ. You know, yes, that happens. And there's reasons for that. But nonetheless, God is sowing revelation into the hearts of his people. He is releasing things and wanting to release things. And we will not parse in. We will not contend for what God said you could have. It's called contending for the promises. This is what it's called. Israel, God told them the promised land's yours. All of that's yours. The land, the mountains, the houses, the fields, the villages, the mining, the, all of the resources of this land belong to you. But you've got to go fight for it. But I'm with you, so don't be afraid. Go cake what is yours. And what happened? We had a generation, oh, we can't. There's giants. It's too big. The whole generation died. Real? Oh, God would never do it. Read your Bible. 
They died on the other side of the Jordan. They died not, not being saved. They had come out in baptism. They had come out of Egypt by blood. So they came out by blood and water. So they were already there. But they didn't get into the promises. They didn't get into the dimension that God had for them. They didn't get into the inheritance. Come on. The seed falling among the thorns. Then the other one says the seed falls, among, falls on good ground. It's someone who hears the word, understands it, and produces... Oh, excuse me, back up. It says the seed that falls among thorns is someone who hears the word, but worries about life, and the deceitfulness of wealth begins to make it unfruitful. They become... They hear the word, they're great, but they're like, yeah, that's cool, I'll just put it over there. They're indifferent to what God said. They have more better priorities that are their own. God doesn't have a problem with riches. But until you understand true riches... You're not going to inherit the real, the, 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 the mammon. Jesus said if you're not faithful with righteous mammon or, or unrighteous mammon, which is material things, you will not be committed true things. So there's a true mammon and there's an unrighteous mammon. And so what we end up pursuing is we pursue the wrong thing. You're pursuing it for the wrong reasons. And that begins to consume your time, begins to consume your focus. You have no grid for the kingdom whatsoever. The reason you do business is to advance the kingdom, in case you didn't know that. Say, it's to pay my electric bill, yeah. It's to pay my rent, yeah. But it's also to advance the kingdom. What God has entrusted you with is because we are stewards of the kingdom. We are to advance his purposes in this life. Even, say it with me, even at my own expense. Ow, Kevin. That doesn't sound like America. Because <laughs> it's not. It's gospel. It's gospel. We are the sons and daughters of the highest. And we are to advance our, our Father's kingdom. No matter what it takes. He has given, come on. He has given you the power to obtain wealth to what? Establish his covenant. You have the power to obtain wealth. He has no problem with wealth. Wealth, 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 wealth. All over the scripture. Problem isn't the wealth. Problem is the termination point. Our problem is this is all about me. Termination, termination. It all ends and begins with me. It's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine. That's not the reason why he blesses you. And that's probably the reason why your riches don't satisfy you. And that's probably the other reason why other people can't enter into the things that God would have for them because they don't understand it. They don't understand it. You can be multimillionaire and you can be rich, you can be Christian and you can have spiritual poverty. You say, I have Jesus, it don't matter. Bible says he put leanness in their soul. Leanness. Because they didn't recognize him. Leanness, the Bible says. Because they took what was his and didn't honor him, so therefore their souls were lean. And he said that they would learn that they do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. That they would learn that only fullness and satisfaction comes when I'm in harmony with what God has commanded me to do. That's the point. Is there leanness in your soul? Just a question. Could it be there's a misalignment somewhere along the line? Just a question. Doesn't have to be leanness in your soul. Pick an area of your life. Where is there leanness? Where is it? Seed falls on good soil is what produces over and over again. The result of the seed falling on good soil, right here's the, here's the key to that. They understand. The key to producing 30, 60, and 100 fold is understanding. Understanding who he is, understanding who I am, and understanding what my responsibilities are in light of that. Therefore, they're able to produce because they understand. Anything different than that, you don't understand. If you don't understand who he is 
and you don't understand who you are, and you don't understand that dynamic of relationship, you don't understand father, son, you don't understand that, and you don't understand your obligations as a son and a daughter, nothing changes. It's until you get that, then all of a sudden, now I understand this is my relationship. My priority is my relationship with my father. And as a true son, this is what maturity looks like. We grow into sonship and daughtership. And mature sons and daughters know who they are. And they know what their life is all about. My life is to advance my father's business. Period. What does that look like? Isn't that the question? That's the question that we have to pursue. That's the question that needs to be answered. But we first got to come to the place that he's my father. I'm his son. I stand in his rights and in his authority. And all that I have or all that I desire isn't in him. And everything that I have is to advance his purposes. No matter what it costs me. That's an inconvenient truth. But it's a truth nonetheless. Problem with Americans, we don't like sacrifice. Problem with Americans, we don't understand that principle at all. At all. What we understand in the United States is convenience. Thank you, Jesus, for blessing this nation to such a degree that we have a wealth of conveniences. I don't know if you're aware of that. And if you don't realize the conveniences that you have, just simply fly down to Haiti or simply just you can go two miles off our shore. You can go down to Mexico. There's a plenty of places that you can go that isn't going to take you very far. And you can realize what abundance you have. Many of you come from countries where there was nothing. And you can realize the abundance that this country has and the conveniences that it allows us. And there's nothing wrong with convenience, but we get so caught up in convenience that we forget the principles of sacrifice. We forget the principles of what is required and what our father expects. David said, I will make no offering to God that costs me nothing. I will not give him anything until I feel it. When I feel it, then I will give it. I will not give him something that doesn't cost me anything. (laughs) Come on. Next slide. The seed is the message of the kingdom. The inbreaking, what is the kingdom? The inbreaking power of Jesus' rulership. The enemy comes and steals the seed. How's he steal the seed, Christian? Ready? How's he stealing from you? He's stealing from you through lies and the implanting of lies. He's stealing through you through the activation of lies you already believe are embedded in you. If you don't root out the lies, he's going to steal from you every single time. Lies. What lies do you believe? He's stealing from you. There's a lie you believe. There's a lie that's been implanted in you. There's a lie that's been embedded in you. I'm not good enough. Who told you that? I'll always be poor. My family's already... Who who told you that? I'll give you one. It's all about me. Who told you that? That's another one. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. We get to stand in the light of his glory and bask in the warmth of the sun You have to root out these lies. You receive something, yet you push away because of fear and ignorance. These are lies. Jesus imparts a revelation, but because of the lies that are in you, you cannot approach it because you're afraid. Because of the lies that have been placed in you, you cannot approach it because you're ignorant, not understanding. Ignorance is a lie. That's what it is. You're shrouded in ignorance. The enemy is lying to you. He's covering you. You can't see, and you're ignorant. You say, I'm a Christian. Yes, you are. The enemy works through permission. In case you didn't know. I can own a house, okay? I'm going to use you, Zach, because I haven't seen you in a while, but boom, we're going to fist bump. I can own a house, and Zach has no right to come into my house. He has no right to even come on my property, unless he and I have an agreement. If I made an agreement with him. 
If I made an agreement with him, Zach can come on my property. Zach can come right in my house. Zach can sit down on my couch because I have an agreement with him. Spoken or unspoken, there's an agreement somewhere along the line. Even though he has no rights, even though he has no ownership of my house, nor does he have ownership of anything that I have in the house unless I make an agreement with him. This is how the devil works. He gets you to make agreements. You have the authority. He doesn't have a right, but you give him permission because you believe. He gets you to partner with a lie. He's getting you to partner with a lie. Therefore, you cannot manifest what? The kingdom. Because you're partnering with a lie. Who told you that? That's why we say it all the time. Because this is the key. He's, he's got tactics and strategies, but his modus operandi is through lies. The embedding and the imprinting of lies. That's what he does. Oh, you'll never be married. Who told you that? Oh, you know, if you just don't stay with this loser, you know, there may be no one else out there for you. And you just may have to stay with this person because you're not going to be able to get anybody else. Who told that's a lie? And what is he doing? He's robbing your inheritance because you are partnering with a lie. We start partnering in faith. So what's the difference? We stop partnering with a lie. So what do I do? Do nothing? No, you start partnering with faith. You start partnering with promise. You get a word from the Lord and you agree with that. Whose report will you believe? You begin to believe God at the point of what he says, not what the point of the enemy says. We let him rob our inheritance. He sows a seed into your heart and we let him rob it. You got to root out the lie. Second one is no roots. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, opposition is inevitable. What is, G what is the enemy opposing? The kingdom looks like this. Presence, power, and purpose. That's the three elements of the kingdom. There's probably more, but these are the three that I felt like the Lord was telling me to talk about. Presence, power, and purpose. So the Holy Spirit is releasing the seed of the kingdom into you in the form of his presence, in the form of power, and in the form of purpose. And so the things, when you start entering into his presence, that's why there's resistance to come to church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? There's something there that gets in the way. There's bills that need to be paid. The kids start acting like crazy kids. You know, something happens because there's resistance to enter his presence. He's resisting it because his presence is the kingdom. Resistance to power. That's a whole other story. And he's resisting purpose. God releases purpose. He's told you. He releases things in your heart. He's told you. You may not know how, but he's still releasing it. When you start to step into your purpose and you start to become your purpose, you may not know what you're doing. And so you start stepping out into it and the enemy resists you. And because you believe the lies, you back off. Or because you won't course correct, you believe the lies. Jesus doesn't have a problem with you course correcting. He has a problem when you stop. If he's told you something, keep doing it. Oh, say it with me. Opposition is inevitable. It is. It is. We got to get this. We just think it's all lollipops. Well, if it was difficult, you know, Kevin, God's going to God, where God guides, he provides. Yeah, he does provide. But I'm called to be faithful unto death, and I'm called to endure the process, and I'm called to take it. That's what I'm called. I'm called to go and get it until it becomes mine. Well, it must not be the Lord. Who told you that? Who told you that? What is the things that he does? No roots. Why don't you press in? Because you fear people. You feel, because you feel like you have a lack of resource. You feel that you, another reason why we, don't, we have no root is we don't have a community. You have to be around positively charged people that are moving in the same direction as you. I tell this to believers all the time, you go to any church you want, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, you're more than welcome here. We love you, we want to bless you, we want to honor you. But we are going up the flipping mountain. 
That is where we're going. If you don't want to go up the mountain, that's where we're going. We're going into the cloud. I see the cloud, and I am not afraid. And we're going up the mountain. And so if we're going up the mountain, the atmosphere is going to change. There's going to be some rugged terrain, but we're going up the mountain. Abraham said, you don't have what it takes? Stay behind with the asses. So he told the servants. Because only me and then if you guys don't want to go, you guys don't have it, stay right here in the valley. There's plenty of room in the valley. We're going up the mountain. You have to be around a positively charged environment that believes God at the point of his promises. That tells you that Jesus is alive and well today. And his spirit has not ceased. Oh, how we preach these messages. Oh, well, everything died with the apostles, Kevin. Who told you that? Who told you that? I can name you churches in these cities. Some of the biggest churches in the city teach that. That's what they teach. They say, oh, you know, Kevin, all the miracles died out with the apostles. I go, all of them? All of them? Oh, yeah, all of them. Including salvation? Oh, well, hmm. Well, we don't know about that. No, no, of course he didn't pull back salvation. So he pulled back all of the miracles except salvation. <laughs> Slide the Bible. Can you show me that? Of course they can't. Of course, they can't. There's no, there's no proof text to that whatsoever. What it is is it's a doctrine for cowardice, and it's a doctrine for us not knowing what we're doing. So we get to create a doctrine so that we don't have to challenge anything. So we create a doctrine because, God forbid, we lay hands on somebody and they don't get healed. Well, that would make me look bad. So let's create a doctrine that says Jesus doesn't heal. Let's just throw the responsibility off on God. When it's an emphatic imperative within the scripture, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. You know what he's saying? You do it. What's the question? Well, how do we do that? And that's where the partnership comes in. What does this look like? How do we do that? How do we press into that? You don't know what you're doing. It's trial and error. It's experimentation. It's going back to the Lord. He said, okay, like this, but not like that. Okay, like that, not like this. There's all this process that goes on. Presence, power, purpose is opposed. Doctrines that say that, you need to be clear. You can agree with it, and you can tell me right here today, I believe that all the miracles stop. I'm fine with it. I'm not, I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'm not even going to argue with you. We don't, we, our Bible doesn't say that. It does not. That's an embedded lie. And it's a doctrine that is created to insulate the pride of man. Because we don't want to look bad. God forbid we look like we don't know what we're doing. I got no problem looking like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing, but I can tell you what Jesus does. And if I keep walking into this, he's going to show me and I will know what I'm doing. Same for you. That's right. Cowardice is, the only, cowardice is not acceptable to the Lord. Cowardice is I'm too afraid to try. That is not acceptable. Read Revelation and read who has, who has no inheritance, who does not access inheritance. Number one on the list is the coward. The one who's too afraid to try. That's first. That's number one. I can think of a lot of things that you would put at number one that says this is what prevents inheritance. But the first thing he puts is cowardice. Being too afraid to try. Fear of man, lack of resources, lack of community, lack of identity. you got to be around people who are charged and going in the same direction as you. You can't fly with eagles if you're walking with turkeys. Just a thought. Lack of identity. You don't really know who you are. Next slide. Cares of life. What is it? Indifference. This is where the majority of the church is. Indifference. We just don't care. We see, we know, but we just really don't care. Indifference. This is what needs to come off the church first. Hardened hearts. Why don't I care? 
Why? Why don't I feel? Why? If he cares, I should care. And if I don't care, why? What is wrong with me, Lord, that God makes me not care? Why am I indifferent? Let him tell you. He's going to tell you. Say it with me. Brutal honesty. Say it again. Brutal honesty with myself by the Spirit is the key to transformation. Christians love to be brutally honest with other people. Oh, I see it all the time. Brutally honest. Oh, I just want to tell you something, brother. Just brutal honesty. Brutal honesty with each other. But we don't have any type. We, don't, we, we cannot stand it with ourselves. Yet that is the very key to transformation. Jesus said, what are you worried about the speck for, dude? You seen a speck? You're walking around looking for specks? Deal with your own junk and maybe you'll be transformed. Deal with the issues of your own heart and maybe you'll be changed. So why are you walking around being brutally honest with everybody else when you, know, and you just ask the Lord, what is my major malfunction, Jesus? What is it? Show it to me. And he's going to show you. He may say to you, pride of heart. And we go, oh, God told me I'm pride of heart. Well, do you know what pride of heart means? No, I don't. So then go back and ask him, what does pride of heart mean? What does pride of heart mean, Lord? Let him show you. Okay, how do I undo it? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to get rid of? What do you, how do you want me to change? And he's going to show you. He's not even going to show you. He's going to give you the power to change. We have no margin, so we're indifferent. We have no margin. We're so busy, man. 5,000 channels, cell phones that can talk to satellites, everything we could possibly imagine, but we have no margin for Jesus. We pursue other things, distractions, things that matter to us more than Jesus. If Jesus does not matter to you more than life itself, there's your question of the week. Why? Why do you not matter to me beyond everything else I have? What is wrong? Why? Because again, it's abstract Christianity. We put it out there and we say, all to Jesus, I surrender. You know, really? Really? Is he your all-consuming fire? Is he? You are my heart's desire? Is he? If he's not, why? You have to ask yourself why, and you have to ask the Spirit why. He's going to tell you, you're too consumed with other things. You're too distracted, Kevin. You have no margin for me whatsoever. You can't even, I can't love you because you won't give me the opportunity to. I can't speak to you because you think you got it all figured out you got so many other things that you would rather do. There's no joy in my presence because you'd rather go out on fishing boats and every weekend. I'm not saying going out on a fishing boat is wrong. But i got people who go out every, oh, I can't come to church. I had a guy tell me this. I go fishing on Sundays, man. Can't come to church. I'm like, really? Well, can't you go fishing on Saturdays and come to church on Sundays? Oh, no, no, no. Fishing is, that, you, know, you don't understand. Fishing really feeds me. Really, I'm like, all right. Go your way. As you will. There's a demand that's placed upon our time and energy, understanding, value, knowing what is spoken and imparted. This is the fourth one. So the cares of life are choked out by these things. So how do we change? How do we change? I'm not going to go into the rest of that, but I'm going to jump down here. How do we change? The first one, where the seed is stolen from us, where we've, the, cast, the seed falls on the wayside, there's embedded lies, and there's embedded agreements that you have made with the enemy that gives him the opportunity to, say, to steal what is sown in your heart. So what do you do? I say, number one, come on, help me out. Deal with my junk. David said, Lord, search me and know me. Why did he say that? Because he wanted all the junk out of him. He didn't want anything to intrude upon who God was and what God wanted to do with his life. So what, what's, what's the issues, Lord? Let it happen. What does that look like? Brutal honesty is necessary. Trauma, identity issues, Rooted lies, 
generational issues, and strongholds. These are the problems that have to be unrooted. These are the things that the enemy cycles around. And I don't have time to break into that because I'm out of time. But anyway, these are the things that have to be unrooted. Where are the traumas? There are things that have traumatized you and have emotionally insulated you or have created a pattern of emotional response in you that is unhealthy. Ooh. There's identity issues. You see yourself in light of everybody, what everybody else has said, and you have a hard time coming into the understanding of who he says you are. Enemy stealing from you. Generational issues. You got issues in your generations, you just don't know why. You know, everybody, is, my family's had this. I can't understand what's on me or why this keeps cycling in patterns in my life. You probably have some undealt with generational issues. But I'm a Christian. Yeah, you're Christian. You're born again, going to heaven, but the enemy has a right. He only operates by rights. If it's a pattern, there's a right there. I'm not saying like he doesn't resist you and there's just not storms that come on you. Those things go. But when there's a cycle, that means there's a pattern. And if there's a pattern, that means there's something there. He's visiting with something. He has access. He can come and go when he pleases. Strongholds. That's the other issue. Last slide. Next slide. I'm almost done. So what's the answer? Fill yourself with truth. Get some friends. Get out of toxic environments. This is how you get rid of lies. Some of us are in toxic environments with toxic people. You got to break that off. You got to shift your friends. Yeah, but no one will love me and I won't have any friends. Who told you that? See, there's your lie. If I don't hang out with these people, then no one else is going to be my friends. These have been my friends since I was 10 years old. Oh, really? Who told you that? If they're not going in the same direction, guys, it doesn't mean you can't have friends. But if that is the sum total of all your friends, you are going to become the five closest friends that you, come, you, you connect with. That's what you'll become. So if you, like, if you like the economic level, if you like the social level, if you like the spiritual level of your five closest friends, you should embrace that because that's the level you'll rise to. Your five closest associates will determine the level that you rise to. It's a principle. You have to get around higher level people in order to go higher. If you get around lower level people, they go lower. They either come up, but you, they're not going to come up unless you're going up. It goes like that. Deal with your emotional and spiritual baggage. Deal with it. We lie to ourselves. Here's the biggest lie. We lie to ourselves. You know what we say to ourselves? There's nothing wrong with me. That's the biggest lie of them all, man. The biggest lie of them all, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is. In this increasing, ever-increasing levels of freedom, the biggest problem that the Christian possesses is not at the spiritual level. The spiritual level is inhibited because of the emotional level. The emotional level, the restoration of the soul is what needs to take place in the life of the believer. That is the greatest inhibitor of all. And until there's freedom at the emotional level, there will not be heightened experiences at the spiritual level. I'm just telling you. You say, I don't believe that. Oh, well. We'll see how we go with that. A lot of physical problems are directly related to emotional problems. Just a thought. So where do you think the pattern lies? The pattern lies there. That's what you got to deal with. Roots. Develop endurance and patience. That's what happens to get yourself rooted. Don't quit. Pre say this with me. I need, I need to practice, practice not quitting. For every setback, there's a comeback. Pursue what God has laid before you. Readjust the course if you need to. Change whatever you need to change, but keep going. Deal with your indifference is the third one. Why am I indifferent? Why don't I care? Why are other things so important to me? Why? And then ask the question, where is the lie? I can assure you, if other things are more important to you, there's a lie there somewhere. I, you can put money on it. You are believing a lie somewhere. I don't need the Lord. Oh, really? Oh, I don't need, the, I don't need Jesus. Oh, okay, really? Somewhere along the line, there's a lie. 
Create a margin. Make Christ, his presence, his purposes, his promises, an intentional priority. You're not going to feel your way into that. You have to set your way into that. You have to set your heart and determine yourself to that direction. You won't feel that. It is a determined determination. It's intentional. Eliminate things, even if it hurts. Ouch. Get rid of things. Cast aside every weight that besets you. Cast aside everything that gets in the way. Run the race with what? Endurance. Fertilize. Take action. Get around others. Water. Release over. Prune. Get rid of stuff. Next slide. Last slide. Ah, ha, ha. Communion. We're going to take communion. Say this with me. Fresh start. Fresh start in me, Jesus. Today. Right now. Sunday's not only a fresh start, communion is a fresh start. It is a remembrance. It is remembering who he is. It is remembering what he has done. It is remembering what he has given to us. So if you would stand with me, please. We're going to pray over the elements. Father, we just thank you for this time. Just release your word into the hearts of these people, Lord. Today, if we will hear your voice and not harden your heart in rebellion. Today, help us to hear, Lord. Help us to hear with the heart of a father who only wants his children to go higher. Help us to hear with the heart of a father who loves us with an everlasting love and is not satisfied with us staying the same. Help us to hear, Lord, the heart of a God laid his light down for us that we could enter into more and that we could become what we were created to become. And just release your spirit, Lord, upon these words to bear fruit and return to you what you send it forth to do. Father, we pray over these communion elements, Lord. Let them serve as a reminder that you are the only thing that matters, Jesus. You are the